and I'm here to recruit you. Join me in this message. Jimmy Carter, listen to us. You want to lead? You want to be the world's leader in human rights? Well, damn it, lead! There are 15... There are 15 million lesbians and gay men waiting to hear your voice. We are coming out of the closet. When are you going to come out of yours? Hello, I'm Nolan Tuck. Stacy Glover. And you're listening to Cinema Parlor. Stacy, what's new? Oh, not much, man. I've uh, I've got some Boulevard Tank 7s that I'm going to be drinking tonight. Um, they're within my carb limit. Going hard. Yep. I like it. So, yep, good, good to go on that. And uh, what do you got over there? I'm drinking, uh, so we're both like doing like a keto diet right now. Uh... So I'm drinking Michelob Ultra and uh, watching my carbs. Yeah. 2.6 carbs per bottle. Yeah. Pretty good, you know, pretty solid. So, I I just didn't eat all day today and all the food I have had is just meat to prepare myself so I could get all my carbs through this wonderful beer I'm about to drink. Nice. That's a pretty solid plan. Yeah. It's one I should think about more often. Bro science. Indeed. All right. Uh, so on this week's episode, uh, to celebrate Pride Month, we are going to be discussing the times of Harvey Milk and uh, talk about a little bit about um, our experience with uh, LGBTQ uh, community in film. So I think it'll be a good episode. Heck yeah, man. So uh, I've watched uh, a few movies here that I will name off. Uh First, uh, I will talk about a movie called Pierre Lafaux. This is from 1965, directed by Jean-Luc Godard. Uh, Godard is a director I quite like. I've seen a number of his films. This is a first-time viewing for me, and I would uh, highly recommend this movie. Uh, this stars Jean-Paul Belmondo, Anna Karina, uh, which Godard had a relationship with her during the making of this movie and, and a few other their movies. Uh, this is kind of in the period of Godard where he is kind of in the middle of changing his style of filmmaking. So, uh, you've got this kind of movie that's almost a bridge to like where he starts getting a lot more political in his, uh, uh, in his style of film, uh, using all different kinds of form and, uh, just kind of going to a more extreme um, style. And, uh, of course, Weekend is one of my favorite films ever, which he did a few years after this. Um, so if, if you're interested in kind of that point in Godard's career where he, he starts making that switch, I would highly um, uh, suggest watching this one. I, I quite liked it. So Might I say, the big blind spot for me, um, I, I definitely need to check his stuff out. I need to check out just... French New Wave. I've only seen a couple films, so... Very good. Big, big blind spot. All right. Um, what, uh, what, I'll, I'll go again here, but what, what about you, man? What do you got? Um, okay, so most of the stuff that I watched is probably stuff that we're going to talk about for a thing that you want to do in possibly a few weeks. Sure. So I don't want to go, you know, in depth with that stuff. Um, we, we have been revisiting uh, certain films, uh, The Hobbit, 
series. Um, we're going to watch those up through, you know, Lord of the Rings and stuff. So okay. you just got to get through The Hobbit to get to the good stuff. Um, <laughs> I, that first film, that's the only one we've watched so far in the series. It's okay. Like, I feel like that movie works really well during the quiet moments. But his action in that series of films is just, it's too much. It's too frantic. It, it There's no good, like, the, there's no pace. And there's no, I don't know, stakes and stuff aren't there. Like, it just, I would say Lord of the Rings has a very, like, visceral feel to it. I know it's, like, fantasy and everything. But everything feels very well planned and, like, choreographed. And The Hobbit is, like, CGI nonsense. Yeah. And it, it's it's a smaller story, but some of the, like, action set pieces are, like, more extravagant. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. It's just, it's weird. And tonally, those films are just all over the place. Yeah, I mean, you can definitely tell they were rushed. Um, he, he did not take the precision and care that he did with the Lord of the Rings movies. But, uh, dude, I think maybe his style is that now, though. Because, like, well, I like King Kong, but... Mm-hmm. The action scenes in that are kind of, you know, going towards that way. I mean, it, King Kong's a much better film than the Hobbit films. But uh, during those action scenes, like the T-Rex fight, it's like, well, he's not fighting one T-Rex. He's fighting, what, three? Mm-hmm. And they do like this, like rolling through all those like weeds and everything. And mm-hmm. it, it just keeps elevating. And um, I don't know. I guess I just prefer the more grounded take, you know, he had with Lord of the Rings. Everything felt more substantial, more, uh, more real. Sure. Now you haven't got to it on your rewatch yet, but I will stand up for the second movie. Yeah. Second um, movie's pretty good. That Like there is some really dumb shit in that movie, but, and I honestly, I feel like that's how it is with those first two movies. There's, there's a lot of dumb stuff in it, but there's really good parts too. I know you don't like the first film too much. Not a fan of the first one, not a fan of the third one, but uh, yeah. I, I did enjoy the second one. I think we can all agree that the third one is a stinker. The third one is pure rubbish. Um, we also watched uh, Reservoir Dogs. You know, we're, we're going to go through Tarantino. I have that um, Tarantino 20-year box set, mm-hmm. and I never cracked it open like since I've gotten it. And some of those movies I haven't watched since, you know, probably you know, early college. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to go back through them. So we're starting all of those again. Cause he's got a new movie coming out in July that, you know, I'm excited for. Sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it'll be nice to revisit his stuff. Um, on top of that, I know this is just going to be word jumbled. I'm talking a lot right now, but I'll get it all out of the way. And then yeah. we'll go back to you. Um, most of my time early this month has been uh, dedicated to watching E3 coverage uh, it's the big video game um, expo where they show all the new stuff. Um, I will say, just just a list of five. I know you love lists. Of course. Um, my, my number one game from the show that I'm excited about is Final Fantasy VII, the remake. Uh, it looks awesome. It looks like it's going to be a pleasing thing, you know, for fans and introduce the, you know, that game is like, what, 20, 25 years old? So it'll be cool to, you know revisit that world again and uh yeah i i thought it demoed really well you know they actually showed some gameplay and more impressive um i think there was a trend of everybody thinking like games like final fantasy cyberpunk death stranding all these like big titles mm-hmm. are going to get pushed to the next gen of systems and all of them are like no we're coming out in spring 2020 so it's okay. like the last hurrah for ps4 and xbox one uh, so, yeah, Final Fantasy VII Remake, uh, Cyberpunk 2077, 
uh, the which I think the whole internet latched onto that. Keanu Reeves came out for the presentation. He's in the game. Uh, it looks cool. It's uh, from the guys. It's uh, CD Projekt Red. They're the guys who do the Witcher series. Right. And the Witcher 3 is probably one of the most beloved games from this generation. Mm-hmm. Um, Cyberpunk looks kind of like a... Uh, yeah, and I know it's an existing property. I think it's a pen, um, pen and paper, you know, RPG. Okay. But uh, it looks kind of like a, a, taking a lot of ideas from the Deus Ex series and, like, expanding it in scope. Um, number three for me would be uh, Legend of Zelda Link's Awakening on Switch. It's a remake of... And, and that's something you're going to hear a lot. It's just remakes. Okay. Um, but it's a remake of a Game Boy game. Um, from the early 90s it's got this very like cartoonish style but it kind of harkens back to the super nintendo um you know game boy game boy advance era zelda you know the top down um roaming around dungeon crawling stuff and it looks really cool i was also um a big fan of uh of doom eternal okay I don't. You haven't played Doom twenty sixteen. I actually started it the other day, so I've played like a couple levels. Yeah, that game is awesome. So in that, I think it demoed really well at the show. They showed probably five minutes of gameplay. Uh, it looks awesome. It looks like they're adding, you know, enough to make it feel different, but also it's it's still the fast paced arena, mm-hmm. you know, shooter. It looks like there's going to be more resource management, as in that. Um, certain moves you do get you like certain abilities or you know ammo um, or health or armor things like that it, it just looks really fun um, also watchdogs legion i don't know this game was really surprising for me i i think that the scope of it it, it just looks awesome it and i honestly i haven't played watchdogs 2 I know you own it. Mm-hmm. I don't think you played it yet, I, have you? I, I may have put like two or three hours into it. Not enough to like. Yeah, they're they're just kind of like open world hacker games. Like they're pretty mm-hmm. fun. I played the first one. I thought that you know the shooting was really fun in it, but the guy who was your protagonist was kind of you know pretty vanilla. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, story didn't really grab me or anything. But this new game looks really cool. Uh, it. I guess the the premise is it's in London after the Brexit and it's like fascism has kind of taken over and you can play as any character in the game. So the scope of that just seems very impressive. Um, They all have like their upgradable stats and in the video they showed, um, which was, you know, gameplay, they showed a like 78 year old retired assassin granny. Oh, man. you just see this old lady like going up to people and shooting them point blank in the face. It's just, it looked really funny and it seems like, you know, that type of engine and it it seems, you know, like playing GTA minus the story, just the random nonsense. It seems like they're kind of leaning into like the silliness of like those concepts. And I I think it looks like a lot of fun, but the show was really good. Uh, Sony wasn't there. So, you know, we didn't get to see, you know, stuff from there. And uh, they didn't really do any hints for, like, what's coming next gen. But from all, like, from what everyone's reporting, they think 2020 holiday is going to be when PS5, Xbox, whatever, okay. you know, drops. So about a year and a half from now. Yeah, about a year and a half from now. So we are, like, on the last legs of these systems. I wouldn't be surprised if games just came out, like, SKUs came out. For both systems. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't be surprised if the PS4, Xbox One had another three to five years in its life cycle. Right. Where they're still releasing games. Sure. 
kind of like they did with with the systems beforehand yeah and i i and i don't think it'll just be limited to sports games Mm -hmm. um like we know halo infinite's coming out to xbox one but it'll probably be around a launch title for whatever the next box is so yeah um it's kind of cool man i love me some video games and this is like the time of year to celebrate all the stuff that's coming out and it looks like um you know, we're going to have a really good spring and not even talk about like this fall, man. You got Borderlands 3 coming up and hell yeah. Yeah. All sorts of good things. Sorry. Big, long video game rant. All right. That's all right. Um, yeah. Sounds like some cool stuff, man. Well, I will finish up here with a couple things real quick. Um, a few other movies that I watched. Uh, one I will give a uh, negative to real quick is a new Netflix film called The Perfection. This uh, stars Allison Williams, Logan Browning. I did not like this movie. It's a it's a horror movie of sorts. <laughs> you know, I'm not gonna go into it. I'm just gonna say not not a very good movie. It's I guess entertaining on some levels, but uh, I would not recommend it. But it is on. Netflix, if I ask you so. why you hate it, would it give away plot stuff? Yeah. Okay. And it would also. I mean. So you didn't like the story? The story is bad, and the direction is not very good. Okay. And it, it just... A lot of silliness going on. Like I said, I laughed a good deal. Like, uh-huh. it, it was it was somewhat entertaining. It's just a very bad movie. And I'll just leave it at that. Yeah, very strange. Okay. Uh, so, and then the last two things. These are things I'm positive on. Uh, I saw uh, a movie titled Something in the Air. This is by Olivier Asias. This is from 2012. And uh, this was a movie that I missed when it uh, came to theaters and I got around to watching it on Mubi. They did a little uh, career retrospective, just a small one here on Asias. They had like five or six of his films on there. And this is a movie that takes place in the 70s. Um, kind of a group of, uh, of kids here that are entangled in like contemporary politics and um also they're artists and kind of torn between you know friends and personal lives and ambitions and love lives and all while trying to fight the good fight with political views in france in the 70s okay it's in france in yes. the 70s so anyway interesting movie i like Asias a lot so i would recommend that one and then lastly, uh, this was a rewatch for me. Uh, uh, Criterion recently came out with Blue Velvet on Blu-ray, and I gave Blue Velvet a rewatch on their new Blu-ray the, well, just a few days ago, and uh, great movie, still holds up, and the Blu-ray transfer looks very nice. So anyone out there who has not seen Blue Velvet, do yourselves a favor and watch it. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a masterpiece. Fantastic. Yeah. Say, like, 1986 is just one of the best years for movies. What else? Tell, update me. What Aliens. Oh, nice. Of course, you know, Alien is a better movie. But... I mean, <laughs> listen, they're both great. I'm just giving you trouble. We like to give each other trouble on that subject. The Fly might have came out in 86. It's either 86 or 87. Nice. I think 86. Very good. Yeah, 86 is a good year. Well, yeah, and so, uh, uh, yeah. All right, man. Watch Blue Velvet. Yeah, yeah, definitely watch Blue Velvet. And yeah, that movie's phenomenal. I think it's streaming too. I think it's on Amazon. I don't know what uh, print they have of it, but uh, you 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 check it out there if you got Prime. 
And yeah. yeah, that movie is perfection. It's um it's probably like Lynch like Lynchism in its most mainstream form. Yeah, I mean what's interesting about that movie is too is I mean as far as like watching that movie and then just thinking about Twin Peaks. I mean, this was Twin Peaks before Twin Peaks. Right. I mean, it's, you know, he took that formula and turned it into Twin Peaks. Yep. And so, you know, if you're into that, you'll love Blue Velvet. Yeah. No. Daddy loves Blue Velvet. Yeah, and you will see a crazy Dennis Hopper, so. Which is always fun to watch. Yes, indeed. Thank goodness the 70s didn't ruin his career. <laughs> That's right. The last movie. Yes, which, hey, I, by the way, I got that on Blu-ray recently, so... Maybe, I haven't seen it. Maybe I haven't either. Maybe we can do a... That would be fun. Let's Sometime we're going to do an episode on last movie, and then... Let's pair it with Easy Rider. Well, I have. I also have a documentary uh, that was made at the time of the shooting. Oh. Um, and it's called The American Dreamer, and it's about him on the set of that movie. Yeah. Oh, man. You guys... That, I have seen that one, and... It is a crazy. Lot. It's yep. He went away after that for a while. Like, didn't he, did. he go away until Apocalypse Now? Yeah, that movie kind of wrecked him for a little bit. Yeah, it, it it did not do well for his career, but he made it through. Yeah, Dennis Hopper's awesome. King yes. Koopa in the Mario Brothers movie. Hey, very nice. <laughs> um, so let's talk about what we're uh, what we got covering tonight. Yeah, so. For Pride Month, uh, we thought we would celebrate and talk about one of the most, uh, I, I'm going to say it, one of the most uh, important documentaries of our lifetime. And this is The Times of Harvey Milk. Uh, before we get into the movie, I just kind of wanted to have a little chat real quick on, like, your, ex yes, go ahead. Question. Yes. You said lifetime. Yes. What year did the film come out? Uh, well, actually, um, good point. I, it, well, you would have been born. Ha <laughs> ha! Most important documentary of my lifetime. It was made in 84, and so I would have been, uh, still, uh, not into this world yet. Yeah. But when it won the Oscar, I would have been into the world. Well, there you go. <laughs> so when it came out, you were just, uh, a little floater. Exactly. <laughs> Nice. All right. That's good. <laughs> well done. All right. I'll take it. Uh, so, uh, yeah, before we get into the movie, uh, I thought we'd talk a little bit about our, just our, our experience with uh, LGBTQ film and um, kind of how we've grown up, how we grew up and kind of our experience in watching some of our first gay films. Uh, yeah. Start us out. Okay, well, so you and I come from a very small town in the Bible Belt. Um, yes. I don't recall there being any openly gay people from where we're from. Yeah, it, um, definitely not. I mean, I think there are now, like, there eventually did, but when, <clears throat> yeah, the town we grew up, what, 3,000 people um, in the uh southwest area of Missouri yeah here um but yeah definitely not a popular thing i just to let you know like it's still the 90s there <laughs> right so sure but yeah um <laughs> so i personally wasn't exposed to a lot of films you know coming out around those times that would have been in a positive light mm -hmm. um i feel like um, most 
gay characters in film during the 90s, at least what, you know, I saw, it was like comedic things. Right. Um, comedies. So people loved like the birdcage when that came out. Mm -hmm. And I, I feel like in like comedies and stuff, you know, you had Will and Grace coming out in right. the like what mid nineties, yep. late nineties. Yep. Uh I I and I don't know, maybe that was just like to make weird straight people feel better about Right. You have these characters stuff, but they were always very eccentric. Yeah. And in their tone. Yes, uh I'm I'm with you. But <laughs> it, it wasn't like a um I don't, I don't know. It, it was very, like, cartoonish and right. not the best, like, it, not a fair even portrayal, you know. And there were films from that time that, you know, had, you know, that. It's just I wasn't exposed to it. Mm -hmm. um, I I mean, things that I watched was, like, Predator. And you have Jesse Ventura saying shit like, um, you know... <laughs> slack jaw f word uh, right <laughs> uh, so like all of these films from the 80s that i was watching are just full of machismo right and like where we grew up like bible belt and stuff all that stuff was looked down upon and yeah yep. and sadly you know in parts of the bible belt it still is and sure. that's a shame but getting out of there and like be, like watching more films like while i was growing up like became more exposed to you know things especially when like when netflix became a thing and you could just get anything you know shipped to your house yeah regardless of what it is so it's like well i guess this is an important film so i'm gonna watch it so yeah i i honestly couldn't tell you my first exposure to uh like something serious and impactful okay um regarding you know a gay relationship sure okay I, i'll go ahead you know we, we we have obviously we're very similar in our um upbringing. upbringing so i mean i have a lot of the same um uh a lot of the same things happened with me you know we, we grew up in the same town um a lot of same experiences that's the word i was looking for sorry i don't know why that took me so long but, um, so yeah, I, I'm with you. Like, you know, when I moved here, uh, I, it was, you know, we don't live in the hugest town in, you know, definitely a bigger population. Um, life, you live life more. Um, and when we went to college, uh, you know, we were both into film. Um, and I took a film degree in film studies here at Missouri State University. And, uh, a big, moment for me was I took a LGBTQ uh, film class over a summer mm -hmm. and it was uh, just an amazing class. Not only did I learn a lot, but I, it opened me up to seeing some films that uh, I had not only hadn't seen, but I didn't even know of. And in that time, that's when I first saw uh, the times of Harvey Milk. Um, you know, before I, I think if I remember right, what year did Milk come out? Uh, Milk was, what, like 2009? 2008? So, I had seen that before I had this class. Oh, okay. So, I knew of Harvey Milk. Right. I did not know of the documentary. Mm -hmm. So, I saw that documentary and it moved me. I mean, very much. Yeah, uh, absolutely. And uh, and also in that same class, uh, I watched uh, another outstanding documentary called Paris is Burning. And... Again, a, a film that quite moved me as well. And not only did they move me, but a, 
they're very well-made movies. And so these were very impactful on me. And uh, just learning about, you know, just these films and, you know, they impacted me. So I think it was great. Um, so that's like my biggest experience. Uh, from that, I went on to, you know, to, to discover, you know, films from like, uh, uh, I'm sorry, my mind's going blank here. Uh, the guy who directed Carol, Todd. Oh, Todd Haynes. Todd Haynes. Thank you. Um, I went on to discover him as a filmmaker. Um, I, you know, saw Velvet Goldmine, uh, mm -hmm. saw things, uh, like, uh, oh, uh, he did a remake of all, far the heaven allows, all That Heaven Allows, Far From Heaven. Or I Far believe. From Heaven, yeah. Um, fantastic movies. Um, you know, there are, I went on to see like, um, you know, the movie, The Crying Game, um, which uh, was a big movie in the early 90s. Isn't that presented as like a shocker though? Like it, the, oh my God. It is presented as a shocker, but it, it also has, uh, have you seen the movie? No. It has, it, it's actually a very solid movie. It, it, it presents it as a shocker at the time, but like in that scene. From my understanding, isn't it, isn't it a take on like the opera of Madame Butterfly? Sure. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. Um, there is Which a, I think Cronenberg actually made a film version of Madame Butterfly and I've called, never seen it. Yes, he is did. Is it in Butterfly? Yeah. And I have not seen it myself either. Um, but we could go on here. There. Anyway, the point is, is there are so many great movies out there. Um. Okay. So I kind of want to pick your brain on things and this is going to kind of be like a... <laughs> Us workshopping, mm -hmm. exercising a thing. Um, okay, so before in the show, you've talked about uh, queer theory. Sure. Right? So I'm curious on, like, what falls under that banner? And I, I guess, like, thinking about things, like, I think it's, I think seeing something like Call Me By Your Name or Carol as something other than just a romantic drama, like putting a label on that feels weird to me or something like Moonlight. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. I mean, they, but like something like, like, I don't know, like Rocky horror picture show, which is very flamboyant, which honestly, that's probably one of my first exposures to, cause I watched that several times when I was mm -hmm. in high school. Um, but also, uh, you know, stuff like uh, Nightmare on Elm Street 2. Sure. Um, things that you're reading on Commando. Yeah. No, the, uh, so first off, I just want to say there, there are a lot of films in, uh, you know, in the LGBTQ community that people have latched onto, not because they are outright just a gay film, but because they have latched onto ideas or characters uh -huh. in those films. So think about, you know, I know a lot of people love Judy Garland. Like, yeah. that was someone they could attach to. Um, different characters and roles that are played, and, and you can just... You know, I don't exactly know the exact reasoning behind everything, but, you know, just something that, that people can latch on to. Um, I've noticed, like, you know, uh, movies... Uh, give me one second here. Isn't Judy uh, Garland... It's from, like, her post-Wizard of Oz stuff. Sure, so, like, sure. Star is Born and right. Yankee Doodle Dandy. Uh -huh. Yes, uh, for sure. Uh, queer theory was something um, that we studied in, in one of my theory classes. And it's, you know, the idea of, you know, take, for instance, when we talked about Commando, there's a command, there's a character there who, you know, this is a movie full of machismo. Yeah. But like these undertones of homosexuality. 
and just you know looking for certain aspects in films so is it looking for subtext in films right so like something like Mm -hmm. um and if you watch like the documentaries about the making of like nightmare on elm street 2 which right if you haven't seen that movie you should watch it because like as far as like a nightmare on elm street sequel it is not the strongest but it's a fascinating film just for all the subtext of what's going on because they did just make like a straight up coming of age gay movie right Mm -hmm. and and it's interesting hearing people talk about it like the people who made the film you know they're like did you know that this is what the movie is and it's like well like then a lot of them are being coy in interviews sure you know acting like well this happened and this happened like oh how should we know and mm-hmm. stuff and like obviously they they knew what they were doing and like i guess i'm just wondering if like the theory stuff does it apply more towards like finding subtext in films that aren't overtly it does like that like it's presenting mm-hmm these ideas to people who yep. might not be open to these ideas. Right. And, and a lot of times you're looking for things that, you know, in the movie itself, you know, these might be quote unquote straight characters. So, but, um, they are doing things that subtextually are, right. you know, not to be so. So is this, um, is this a theory that still holds weight for current films? Very much so. Yes. Really? It, it's something that it's a theory that's still very relevant today. And, um, but it's not like something that would apply to like Call Me by Your Name or Carol, it would not. No, exactly. Like not. now, do you see those films as like just straight up dramas or I like what's your reading on those films? Like I and I don't know, I don't know how people react to. Yeah, I I, think, I guess I just think of things as like everything's the same. Sure, and maybe if that's, that makes sense. That's probably the way we should we should think about things anymore like you know as we we talked about this a little bit the other day but yeah you know like moonlight call me by your name you know both those movies it, it shouldn't matter that these are gay characters it is just a a romance right i would and, say call me by your name is the best romance film made possibly this century i i at least within the decade yeah. for me anyways and, but at the same time you know i do you know like Something like, you know, Carol, for instance, and, you know, what's what's a different, you know, Todd Haynes is a gay filmmaker on that. Uh-huh. But, you know, I, I do think these movies are important to the community because, you know, even in this day and age, I mean, we don't get a lot of movies that are centered around gay relationships. Yeah. And so I think, it you know, it still is a big deal, even though it... You know, it shouldn't be. It still is. And I, I understand that. Yeah. Do you think that, um, like, do you think we're making progress? I would like to think so. I mean, Moonlight won Best Picture. That's pretty awesome. Right. And, you know, call but me. Then, here's my counter argument. You sure. have something like Bohemian Rhapsody. Right. That it's, it's very and here's what I don't understand about that movie. It is made by a gay filmmaker, right? I feel like that film almost used Freddie Mercury's homosexuality as like a bad thing. No, it, it, it very does much that make put like, it in a bad light? That, I agree like with that. they when he starts going down his like dark side and like all the bad things that happen in his life, it is kind of presented that. 
is because of him discovering that he is a homosexual. Right. And it almost, it, for me, it felt like they were painting it as a negative thing. And they were kind of like putting like this girl that he had this relationship with right. like on a pedestal. Yeah. No, it, throughout for sure. The film. And also, you know, the, I, if, if you remember the, the guy in the, in the film that he has a relationship with, uh-huh. um, it makes that guy out to be just this like kind of conceding, very like obnoxious person. You're talking about like the manager guy right. that like mm-hmm. yep. gets him into a seedy life. Yes. And you know, their relationship, like it, it's like almost like he is like this form of, you know, uh, like a devilish Satan type well, character. And like, aren't they presenting, like, I don't know if you recall, but the first scene of him, like exploring his sexuality, yeah. isn't it like during a montage of music and he's talking to his girlfriend but then at the like during this montage, he's like going to a truck stop yeah. and like, yeah, they imply that he's gonna you know get off in the bathroom with this dude. Yes, that's right. And like it's done in a very like sinister almost way. Yeah, no, that's that's a very good point. And you know that I just thought it was like I don't know that movie is neither of us like that movie at right. all. But that movie was still one of the biggest movies from last no, year. You make a good point. And it's just weird coming from, you know, a yep. gay filmmaker. And I mean, you know, Brian Singer's a piece of shit. Right. But we can no. say that, right? Yeah, for sure. And, you know, let's go ahead and I'll, I'll talk about a few more movies that, since we're talking about negative side, because you bring up a good point, you know, for as much progress as we've made, there still is uh, <laughs> a decline. And so now this is from a couple years ago, but, uh, you remember the film Blue is the Warmest Color? Yeah. Okay. Did you is ever it? see it? <laughs> no, because I heard the ladies doing the film were coerced into doing things that they did not want to do. Yeah, so that, that story came out afterwards. Now, and I'm not, you know, I, I'm fine with some, some nudie bits and stuff, but uh, I... Knowing that stuff, I'm not really interested, I guess. Now, here's what I will say. I, I have, I did see the movie. Uh, there are many aspects of the movie I liked. Um, but uh, I saw this movie in a theater. And this is also, just, just a context as well, This the filmmaker is a straight man uh, that made the film. Uh, there was a scene um, that happens about during the first third of the movie and it's a sex scene between our yeah. two characters it lasts for about eight minutes and i'm not exaggerating yeah and it's in my opinion now I've, anybody can this is just my opinion it it was not tastefully done i'll put it that way uh-huh. um as a male i was turned on by it and i don't say that like and i'm straight but like i i I feel like I shouldn't have been because the, that character, as you, as you watch the movie, the main character, she's a teenager. I think she's a junior, senior in high school. Now she's old enough in real life, but that's how she portrays in the film. And they, they portray her as this character that is very childish, childlike, a lot uh-huh. of close-ups of her face and a lot of like her eating spaghetti at time, like just like close-ups of a child basically. And then they have this sex scene with uh-huh. her and 
it's it's her first time basically yeah. having sex and you know the two women are it's it's an unrealistic sex scene it's just it, for me it was a male fantasy type thing oh and it it was I don't know how to explain it. It just I I didn't feel right watching it. It was one of the I felt like I shouldn't be experiencing this. Okay. How about So what about like things like Bound or like Basic Instinct? Bound I have not seen. I'm very I very excited to watch it. And here's the thing like I don't have a problem with like well, I guess like I mean <laughs> not that we knew then, but now we know the Wachowskis, sure. you know. And don't get me wrong, I have no problem showing sex scenes yeah my problem was is it felt exploitative yeah that's i'm sorry that's what i should have tried have you to seen say basic instinct with. i have yeah did you feel that that stuff was exploitive because like that movie because she has like that open relationship with that one girl sure as i recall to me it's i don't find it exploitative because of i feel like verhoven is just like He's very open, I think, about his style of filmmaking and his just... See, now, I see it as exploitive, but I don't see that as a bad thing always. Like, the the thing with Blue is the Warmest Color, like, reading that, like, these actors did not want to do what was mm-hmm. being presented and were coerced into this. And like you said, it was, like, basically, like, male fantasy, which... You know, if you watch, like, any of those, like, you know, Cinemax, whatever, like, a lot of that stuff's just, like, girl-on-girl softcore. Right. So, yeah, like, that's kind of weird. It's, it's kind of sketchy. So, again, that's just, that's just a, I went on a little longer than I Plus, it's like a three-hour movie, isn't it? It is a three-hour movie. Yeah, not up my alley. So, anyway, you know, and I didn't hate the movie, but I, I did have some issues, especially with that. It, and so, that's something on the negative end another thing i'd like to point out on negative end this was a few years back but um you know i this movie is hilarious uh we've talked about it i think a couple weeks back but you know uh the uh the wedding crashers Uh and the character todd in that movie (laughs) as you watch it nowadays that character is quite offensive um yeah the only gay character in the film and he is psychotic psychotic he's rapey he is just a lot of bad do you so. think it's weird that, like, humor from 10 years ago, like, all of those Apatow films have stuff like that in them? Yeah. Mm-hmm. It is, like, that stuff wouldn't fly now, right? I, I wouldn't... Th- I don't think so. And I guess, like, does that stuff offend you? I... I mean, I'm the type of person that, you know, I'll watch anything. So, yeah, like... I don't really get offended by... Pretty I would, much anything. Right. I, I would say, like, you know, that was a bad choice, but it's not like I'm not going to watch the movie. Like, I, I kind of draw the line at, like, like, Solo. Like, Which I, you should see. It's an amazing movie. Here's the thing. I would watch it if you made me watch it because, you know, for the good of the pod. But, like, I'm not going to go out of my way to watch that movie because I know the content of it. Now, I've seen other pa- Pasolini stuff. And I think there's a biography film coming out about him this year from Ferrara, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. That'll probably be good. But, okay, <laughs> tangent. Um, I've seen, you know, some of his other stuff, and it's like, I recognize that, like, dude, this guy's pretty awesome. But, like, just knowing the content of it, like, you know, rapey teenage shit, I, 
I'm not going to seek that out. It's kind of like cannibal movies. I I don't seek cannibal movies out. I If you said, hey, let's watch a thing, I will watch it. But, um, you know, I tried Cannibal Holocaust and not for me. Well, but outside of that, in my opinion, I'm just... I don't really get offended. In my opinion, this is a little off topic, but, uh, you know, well, not necessarily because Pasolini was gay himself. But um, I think that movie gets a bad rap because it is an extremely brilliant movie, in my opinion. Uh-huh. And um, I I think people, for some reason, it, it's always just got this, and I understand it's it's tough subject matter, but I think it gets a bad rap for the way it's talked about and. I think it's a brilliant movie. So I'll just leave it at that. I just think maybe sometimes things can be too oppressive. That's fair. But I'm going to make you watch it. Listen, I got like a Disney musical just living up in my head. That's my life. Sunshine and rainbows, brah. Whatever, dude. (laughs) Life is like Paddington. If only. (laughs) Well, on (laughs) that note... Yeah, let's talk about the movie that we're actually discussing today. Um, but I, I'm glad that we had this like long drawn out conversation. Cause I, I am curious about, cause I didn't take theory class. I know of some of these theories and everything, but I, I don't know. I, I have a, cause I'm sure that like the community latches onto certain films, sure. but also it's like, I think it's weird to like differ certain films based on, you know, who's into who. Yeah, and I, and I think, again, it's it just, my final thoughts are, I mean. A romance is a romance for me. I think, you know, if it's done well, like, that's a good romance. No, and I, I get that too. I, I just, I just, I do think it still is a big deal just because of, you know, of how little films we still get in this, in this time, so. To let you know about progress, I read an article the other day saying that 80% of voting Americans are pro-gay marriage. Hey, maybe we're... Yeah, maybe we're moving up, but... Maybe we'll get there. Yeah. Okay, so let's uh, let's get into our movie a little bit here. Uh, so, like we said, we are going to be talking here about the times of Harvey Milk. Mm-hmm. This was uh, made in 1984, as we've already uh, discussed. This was directed by Rob Epstein. Um... Real quick, I'm going to give you... I haven't done this in a few episodes. My bad. I'm going to give you a little letterboxed uh, uh, breakdown here. He was powerful, charismatic, compassionate, and gay. After 11 months in office, he was assassinated. Harvey Milk was an outspoken human rights activist and one of the first openly gay U.S. politicians elected to public office. Even after his assassination in 1978, he continues to inspire disenfranchised people around the world. Okay. Yeah. Well, um, um, let's talk about this filmmaker. Um, so he went on to do um, a bunch of different documentaries. He did. So this... Um, In fact, I think he just did documentaries up until the 2000s because he did um, Howl and uh, Loveless, right? Yeah, that's For right. recent filmography. I believe that's right. Um, I, I have a few things of note about him real quick. Not a lot, but I have a few things here. Okay. Um, so... Uh, Obviously, uh, he made this movie in 1984. Um, it won Best best Documentary in 1985. Uh, so he made history um, by winning the first Oscar for an openly gay film. 
um, along with his producer, um, Shishian. Um, I'm, I'm gonna oh, you're butchering this. Shemishin. Maybe that's it. Wait a minute. What? S-C-H-M-I-E-S. I can't even talk just, right now. Just have another go at it. Yeah. For the Hebrew community. Shmishin. <laughs> I don't think that's it. Anyway. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Uh, so yes, first first Oscar for openly gay film, and uh, would do so again by thanking his partner in his acceptance speech. Some twenty five years later, um, he would be a part of history once more. This time, when he entered the East Room of the White House for a ceremony at which President Obama awarded a posthumous uh, post, yeah, uh, a Presidential Medal of Freedom to Harvey Milk. Right. So that's pretty cool stuff. Um, few... So Shishish got a Oscar. Exactly. I'm I'm sorry, sir, that I have messed up your name. I do apologize. Uh, he won't be listening. So uh, as, <laughs> um, so Mr. Epstein, uh, he would uh, go on to be a part of. This is kind of going back in his career a little bit. The Adars Collective Mariposa Film Group. He mm-hmm. participated. In making World Is Out, Stories of Some of Our Lives in 1977, it was the first documentary on the lives of gay men and women in the United States. Um, I'm sure you're going to get to this, but didn't this film start out at, like, didn't they start filming Harvey and stuff before his assassination? Yes, they did. Like, wasn't this film... Just to cover, like, was it Section 9? Is that what that stupid six. thing was? Section 6. Section 6. Yep. So it was meant to cover that, and yes. then they got wrapped up with Harvey. It, it continued, and, and it, it came into a huge thing. Died. And got assassinated during, yeah. during the... That's why they have so much footage that they do in the documentary, which is pretty insane, I'm sure we'll talk about. Um. So, yes, uh, like, so he made that. After that, he would go on to make uh, The Life and Times of Harvey Milk. And a little later in his career, after Harvey Milk, uh, he would go on to make Common Threads, Story from the Quilt, 1989, co-directed with Jeffrey Friedman, the creative partner with um, who he made ever, every film he did since then. Uh, Epstein won the Academy Award for that film as well with Friedman, and they went on to make, among other projects, documentaries The Celluloid Closet in 1995 and Paragraph 175 in 2000, the later examining... Uh, the latter, I'm sorry, examining the persecution of gays and lesbians in the Third Reich. So, as you also said there, um, uh, they would go on to uh, make Howl in 2010, mm-hmm. a successful work of um, fiction dedicated to Alan, uh, Allen Ginsberg mm-hmm. poems, and James Franco starred in that. Yeah. So... That's a little bit of a rundown. Um, uh, was Loveless his last film? I believe so. That was yep. like, what, four or five years ago? Right. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of the rundown on uh, Rob Epstein. So do you have anything? No, else I, to I say think about it's, it? um, honestly, I didn't know too much about that filmmaker, and it seems like he's like one of our best documentarians. Yeah. I mean, uh, uh, just from the awards and stuff, and obviously, like, this film is monumental. Um, yeah, and I think the story of the making of this film like is so fascinating that mm-hmm. like like they just kind of stumbled into it and the film comes out what like 6 years after 5 6 years yeah. after right. the assassination. Yeah. Um yeah, it's just crazy and I mean 
you can kind of tell that maybe the focus was on that section six because sure, I mean that covers most of the film. Like the entire second act is dedicated to that. Yes, it is, and you could. But I mean, it's really important and big part of the movie. Um, something that I find striking about the film is just like we're not that far removed from it, and a lot of the ideology then is just like so freaking backwards. It is. Uh, Speaking of, before we get too far, um, just. Real quick, give me your initial thoughts uh, on your opinion of the film. Oh, I love this movie. Um, I I found it to be moving. It, obviously, it probably didn't have the impact as it would have had I not seen Milk before this movie. Um, but, you know, seeing the real life dude, you know, he is very charismatic. And he was a great talker. Like, I, I think they did such a good job of their, like, the interview process was something mm-hmm. I was very enamored with for this film. I think they did a good job of getting a range of subjects to interview. Uh, you also have to keep in mind that this movie is pre-Thin Blue Line. So, like, this is, you know, straight up, like, old school documentarian form. You know, it, it's interviews and archival footage. And yeah. that's it. Mm-hmm. Um, so... Y- a lot of, a lot of uh, you know, things that Thin Blue Line introduced to documentarian filmmaking, you're not going to see in this film. Uh, so it might not play as slick mm-hmm. as, you know, films that you would see now on Netflix and stuff that, right. you know, are, are popular. But uh, I found it to be a captivating watch. And, yeah, I, I was definitely moved. Some of those shots, man, are unbelievable. You know, the, the candlelight sigil. Mm-hmm. Um and just like all that archival footage of Harvey is just great. Yeah. And, and I, you can see like in the Gus Van Sant film, like, you know, he does such a great job of replicating the look of, uh, what's the street that they're on? I think it's market. If I'm, I believe market street, maybe I'm wrong in that, but, but um, yeah, it's, he does a great job of like replicating the look of that, you know, time and place. Um, which if you haven't seen Milk, you should go watch it. It's pretty freaking awesome. Um, I thought that it was interesting that they spent so much time on Dan, uh, what's his last name? Yes, um, that would be, uh, give me one, Dan White. Yeah, Dan White. Um, they do dedicate a lot of the film to, you know, explaining, like, Dan White's, uh, ascent into politics and his decent and tweaky brain, you know. Sure. Stupidity. Yeah, so uh, I as well. If if you couldn't, if the listeners couldn't tell earlier, I love this movie. As I, you know, this was this was my second time watching the movie. I, I like I said, I saw it in, in a class for the first time, and it kind of uh, blew me away. Um, second watch, great movie still. Uh, excellent mm-hmm. documentary. I agree with all the points you made, everything you've said, and uh, just it it's it really is an affecting documentary and. Harvey Milk is, I think, just such an important figure, not just in LGBTQ community, but I think in our uh, nation as a whole. I think he, he tried to do something as, that um, bring people together. That that was his, I think, mm-hmm. goal. And, you know, obviously we still have issues today, uh, but... 
he he seemed like a person that just cared. Well, yeah, and he wasn't just the voice of, you know, the gay community. He was also the voice of the senior citizens. He was the voice for, yep. you know, the Asians. Uh, he was also the voice for, you know, the unions. Yep. Uh, all minorities, really. Yeah, basically all minorities. Um, any little guy, you mm-hmm. know, he was looking out for, and that's how he got voted into office is, you know, all this support from, you know, outside of the gay community because, and I think it's fascinating. You have that interview with that gentleman um, who is a union guy and he's, he's saying like things during the interview that, you know, you kind of look at it and it's like, well, that's a little weird and backwards thinking, but like, honestly, that's not that far removed from like where when we were growing up, right. You know, like he was just talking about him being like, Oh, this fruity guy and stuff. But then, he started saying things that made sense to me and mm-hmm. like I related to what he was saying yeah. and like that's you know why I supported him and yeah. you know I, I think that's awesome and yeah. I, I honestly think if more people would just open their minds and hearts to people then the world wouldn't be you know so stupid and shitty. Yes indeed. Um, let's real quick here I want to give a shout out to Harvey uh, Firestein is um, the narrator of yeah. the film. Um, most famously known for Jeff Goldblum's boss on Independence Day, right? Yes, and also uh, the hairdresser. I can't talk right now. The hairdresser in Mrs. Doubtfire. Mm-hmm. Um, he's got a very famous, distinct voice, and he was in a bunch of like pop movies from the nineties. Yes, as like the token gay character. Right. Uh, yes, and so he he does a fabulous job as the narrator in this film. Um, so I just wanted to give him a shout out. Kind of is our. Um, guiding voice. Yeah, he is phenomenal. Um, let's talk about Harvey just a little bit. Just, just a few things of note here. Uh Um, it opens up telling us a little bit about him. Uh, we find out he grew up in Long Island. Um, joined the Navy after college. Uh, after that went and tried his luck at Wall Street. In the 60s, uh, he produced on Broadway. And at that point, uh, he... Immigra- or immigrated to San Francisco. Uh-huh. Um, opened a camera store on Castro Street. Castro and, Street is the name of the street. And, uh, yeah, like, I I, th- I did know it was Castro Street. I, I feel like, like, they, maybe I'm wrong. I thought they were going down, like, a different street, the Interconnected. That's I why I said market, but maybe I'm recall. wrong. But anyway, we'll get that later. Uh, so, uh, <laughs> yeah, so he, he goes to San Francisco, opens up a camera store, and, uh, like, just tried to make a living there in San Francisco. And, you know, uh, he basically kind of ends up wanting to be a voice for this community. Uh-huh. Um, ends up running for different offices. And um, yeah, mostly, what, city council? City council. Because each district in San Francisco had a chair yep. for city council to have, like, a voice. Yep. Um, I believe he runs four times, the I, and he finally wins on his fourth try, um, and so uh, you know that's what got him into politics right there. Well, and he is the first openly gay um, American to win yeah. a seat in American politics. It was a very big deal. He was forty-seven years old when he got um, hired onto the board of supervisors in San Francisco. Um, yes, like you said, first gay supervisor elected, um, and, uh, of course, you know, at this time, uh, after we've kind of learned these things, the movie goes into a little bit on Dan White, 
his relationship with him. He was also on the board of supervisors. He was in a different district mm-hmm. in San Francisco. Very clean cut, like kind of all American looking guy. Loved by the community. Called him a good old boy. Hashtags. Um, what thoughts at all about I? I Dan White is an interesting character. It, the whole thing is is just very strange. I don't know how much you want to talk about him, but he he plays a role in this, obviously, because of what he did. But he's um, so he's very like conservative Christian values, but it's it almost seems like he killed these two people out of like spite for not getting his chair back. Right. Instead of, like, Harvey being gay. Like, he Mm -hmm. wasn't for, you know, gay freedoms and stuff. But he was always... He did that thing that, um, you know, like, Christians will do that uh, say that, like, you know, I I love everyone, but I don't agree with that lifestyle. Right. Which, like, I don't even know what that means. Sure. Like, what... That's... Just pet peeve of mine. What does lifestyle mean? Right. No. Isn't that just like what you do? Yeah. I don't think that means like who you're boning. Yeah. Right? (laughs) Yeah. Like, let me tell you, there are gay football players, baseball players, basketball players, and hockey players. That's shocking. Yeah, I know, right? (laughs) Like, somebody in your family (laughs) is gay. Yeah. lifestyle man yeah it pisses me off anyways so he he was that kind like he didn't want to offend anybody or step on any toes but he was clearly like upset by like all of this stuff with like section or section six or whatever yes, the sure. shit that was called and um, we will get to that in a, in a sec but yeah I, i'm with you like you know it even i think they even go as far as like talking in the film that dan white actually like you know, they had their disagreements, but I think Dan White even voted against Section 6, if I remember right. Yeah, he, he like, was, like, very cordial right? to everyone. Mm-hmm. So Just I, kind of like a good old boy. Yeah, and I, I agree with, with what you said. It, it, it just We'll get into that in a little bit, but it, just a strange, very strange um, circumstance, the whole thing. It just, I don't think he would be known as a homophobe had he not killed the first gay politician. Right, yeah. No, that's... <laughs> I mean, he probably was, but, like, he wasn't outwardly. Yeah. He was, like... He came off as, like, a nice guy. Right. And, yeah. like... Yeah. In, in his arguments, you know, in this archival footage, you know, like, they were talking about the gay pride parade, and he was talking about how, well, I don't have a problem with them marching. It's just uh, people being in various states of undress. You know, we wouldn't allow that on any day, you know, regardless yeah. of sexual orientation. So I don't know why, which like, you know, yeah, he was, so he, he was very offended from the gay day parade. Right. From that they had in 1978. It's a, that's one of my favorite sequences of the film is seeing that parade and all of the shots they well, have. That's an iconic shot of, you know, Harvey in that tight white shirt with the, in the um, car with the lay on. Yeah. You know, and, and mm-hmm. I think that's like the shot from like milk. That's like, yeah. You know, like they advertise the film around. Right. Um, so yeah, you know, Dan tries to make his presence known by trying to stop the gay day 
Freedom Parade. But um, it, claiming um, he was offended. Yeah, but it was like public offense, not so much that he cared. He always put it in that like, right. I'm not offended, but people could be people offended could be by offended. this. Exactly. So that's why we don't need to have, you know, um, naked pride. Right. Uh, but real quick, before we go into a little more of the film, I, I just want to, you talked about a little bit of, of the film's uh, style and form. I want to go into a few things. As, as I've said already, we, you know, we have a narrator, basically the whole film. A lot of medium close-up interviews, uh, looking into the camera, very intimate interviews. Mm-hmm. Uh, Verte-style footage of San Francisco from the 70s on Castro Street. I found the interviewees to be quite honest. Um I think they did a pretty good job. Now, obviously, a lot of the people they interviewed are are pro Harvey, but I thought they did a good job of trying to mix in some people, like you said, the older gentleman who was a union worker. Um, even though he was pro Harvey, he was he's, he's not, not typical gay exactly. And so I thought they had a good mix of some different interviewees in there, uh-huh. and I, and I like that. I, I think the well, and I I think like it also does a good job of showing the scope of Harvey's impact. Uh-huh. The the fact that like it's not just the gay community standing up for him; it's you know the elderly, it's sure. um you know these minorities that are stepping up and saying like. Well, you know, this guy isn't just, you know, the gay community's guy. Like, this guy's our guy. Like, he speaks for us. You know, he's our voice. He represents us. You know, it's not just, you yeah. know, gay rights. It's right. it's all of us. Yes. 100%. Yes. Um, I also want to note, um, I, I thought the score was very good in this movie. Yeah. I, yeah, for sure. It, it, it's subtle. It is. It is. And I think it's used very, very well. Um, so anyway, I just wanted to throw those, those things in. Do you have anything to add on, on any of that? Um, no, no. I mean, I, I agree with you. All right. So kind of, let's get into like the, the, the meat here. So as we've talked about, um, the movie after, after we've kind of learned about Dan White, we've, we've learned about Harvey. Um, we go into the prop six, right? This is in 1978. Um, and it's basically trying to deny, um, rights um, to teachers that are gay in California. Yeah, um, that pisses me off. Proposed, All that stuff. Yes, um, and this was proposed by the state senator in California. Um, call, uh, I believe his name is Briggs, um, and it's called the Briggs Initiative. Well, that makes sense. Briggs sounds like a name for that. Yeah. Bobby Briggs. Yeah. Uh, I'm just joking. Bobby Briggs, good name. Yeah, that is a good name. Good alliteration. <laughs> good job by you, BB. Okay, uh... Do you have anything to say about, I mean, other than being angry? Because <laughs> this is I mean, one of the dumbest not really. propositions I mean, I've ever heard in my life. It is really stupid. And here's the bad thing about this. We're not that far removed. Sure. And, like, a lot of people still feel this way. Yeah. And, like, a lot of people have these stupid thoughts that, like, a lot of arguments that I hear is... Well, if you can marry another man, then you could just marry your toaster or your dog. And it's like, okay, dumbass. Um, <laughs> one is a consensual adult. The other is an inanimate object or an animal that cannot give consent. So comparing the two is not, you know, not the same. Uh, mm-hmm. All that all that stuff makes me livid. Sure. Um so, yes, hearing the arguments for this section, Prop 6, whatever, like, oh, it makes me so mad hearing that stuff. Right. And kudos to Harvey and um, his um, female supporter. I, I don't have her name, but um, 
for not losing their shit because, like, I'm the type that when I hear things that just aren't logical, I I just start raging and just, like, I don't understand how you are making these comparisons. You sound like a dummy. Like, yeah, good for them for, like, showing up, you know, acting like sensible adults and not losing their shit because I would have. I, I would, it's like... I would shake them violently by the shoulders. Probably not really. I'm a nice guy. But but it's just, it's enraging. Like, what are you saying? This is nonsense. Yeah. Now, um, yeah, it's it's tough to watch. Um, There's a moment where um, uh, he goes on to a, like, a talk show, a morning talk show. And, you know, there's a very intelligent conversation happening from one side and then you have his the dumbest ass verbal diarrhea coming out and it it, it does remind you a, a lot you know again i know our point is not to be too political because everyone has different views but it's very much um today let's just say it it, it it's hard to watch in in the light of what what happened what's going on some in our political i know landscape. you're being nice and you know, not wanting to offend people, but I don't even see how this is a political thing. I really don't. Well, I, sure. I mean, this is a human thing. It should be. Like, people but should our, just be cool with people. But, ha- but it's, it is true that our country has made it apolitical. Which thing. is so dumb. It's the dumbest thing. A lot of the things that people get mad about politically, like the things that people vote on, are absolutely stupid and have nothing to do with how the country's ran. Like, why on earth should anybody give any shits on who's sleeping with who? Unless you're wanting to sleep with that person, why do you care? Yeah. Like, that is freaking ridiculous to me. Yeah. Like, it shouldn't matter. It doesn't affect you. So, here's the thing. This country is founded on, like, the, the basis of, you know, like, Christianity, you know, Quakers and all that stuff coming over. Like, for hundreds and hundreds of years, we've had a pound in our head. Everybody knows about it. You know, you're not saving anybody's soul. Just let people be people. I couldn't agree more. Leave it alone. Very much. It doesn't affect you. I'm sure the big guy has bigger things to worry about. (laughs) Well put. Well put. Sorry. No. (laughs) I just get... Good rant. Makes me cranky. Yes. Uh, As as well it should. Uh, So... Let's go ahead. So, Prop 6, we get that um, big part of the movie is about Prop 6. Yeah. It ultimately loses, which, good, which, on, yeah. good on California. Hell yeah. Uh, you know what? I think at one point, um, a big thing was, didn't they get President Carter? Or yeah, he, he came, came out to, and he said, yeah. like, no, don't vote on yeah. Prop 6. He like, came it's to a rally, bad. said don't and, vote and on And that's it. another thing. They, they show um, some demonstrators, you know, talking to an um, elderly Asian couple And they do present this wonderful point of, it's like, well, if they start limiting the rights of this group, what's going to stop them from limiting the rights of other minorities? Because that's how it starts. And that is how it starts. And then you get freaking Nazis. And then Mm -hmm. we have another big giant war. Yeah. Nobody wants that. Nobody wants it. No, for sure. So anyway, great moment. Great moment. Prop six loses. Um, and there's this great celebration, like, this is, as I think the movie points out, like, this is Harvey at, like, the height of his yeah. political power. 
Um, because he's kind of the face for arguing yeah. against this. And yeah. it, what a great face for it. You know, you have sure. this sensible, you know, guy who is, who represents all these minorities and is talking about this. And, oh, man, some of the stats that they were throwing out were absolutely insane. Mm-hmm. Where, which is funny because you see all these Netflix, like, documentaries and stuff about, like, you know, child rape in, like, Catholic schools and stuff. And it's, like, all these men taking advantage of, mm-hmm. like, little girls and boys and things like that. And they, like, present the stat that, like, well, 98%, wasn't it 98% of, like, sexual predators in schools are straight men? Right. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, and then, like, the guy arguing against it was, like, well, if we take out that 2%, we know that's 2% that's done. <laughs> it's, like, what the fuck are you talking about? Mm-hmm. Like, take out the 2%? Like, are you crazy? That number doesn't even matter. Like, you're insane. 98%. Good lord. Like, just math. Yeah. <laughs> so like, 98's a bigger go. number than 2. Yeah. You're not wrong. I, I want it math. It's purely, you know, Good logical. job, me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. No. Just heated. Yeah. So... You know, all that all that happens, it's that's you know, the high point of the movie. And yeah, then, yeah. then we kind of the downward spiral kinda of happens here in a way. So we after all this happens, we kinda of get a little more into Dan White. Um we find out that he resigns from the board of supervisors. Uh-huh. And the thing about that whole thing is no one really understood exactly why he resigned. Other than, you know... It was against his morals. He cla- Yeah, and and he claimed, like, you know, he needs to spend more time at home. Things like this. Yeah, he basically claiming, like, his things weren't, like, his voice wasn't being heard. Right. And, like, the bureaucrats and stuff, which, yeah. like, it's kind of funny, like, the idea of, like, the gay agenda taking over in San Francisco. Because it's like, like come on there's like one gay dude that's on the board and yeah. like a few people agree with him sure like come on dude right so like you are not the minority in this situation within like what is it within like a couple days you know obviously uh the mayor Ma- mayor Mascone, you know it's uh-huh. like we need not you know we've got to fill this position right so they start having some candidates within just it may have been one day it, a day, a couple days. I think it was a day. I think he yeah. was like, I slept on it, and then like yeah. I realized I had a ton of support, and like people want me in office, so I'm gonna I, take see backsies. Yeah. And so Dan White's like, you know, I, I want back my position. Yeah. And at this point, Mayor Moscone is like, no, you resigned. So now we're going to. Well, and I also think that um, another thing was, weren't they told that like the lawyers for the city said that like, well, technically, since he did resign, like you can't just give him his spot back. Like it has to be like or like he can't just have it back. Like there's got to be like a consensus or something. Yes. Like, well, didn't it have something to do with like the city lawyers? Absolutely. It did. Yes. And uh, yeah. So, I mean. Basically, what it came down to was was what you just said, and and that uh, the mayor basically said we're not going to reelect you, and we're going to go in a different direction, and that's what happened. Um, so Dan White is, does not get rehired, and he's off the board of supervisors. So my understanding, 
Is. Well, he's not told this. Right. They just let it happen. They let it happen. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He climbs through a window. So, yeah, that ne- it's the next day, correct? When yeah. He, he climbs through a window mm-hmm. in City Hall. He has a gun, extra yep. ammunition in his pocket. Yep. He goes to the mayor's office to, like, confront him about not being contacted, mm-hmm. about not ha- getting his job back. He kills the mayor. Then he walks however many doors down. Goes to Harvey Milk's office because Harvey conspired against him, saying that Dan wasn't a suitable, mm-hmm. you know, member. That he did resign, right. and the law was on, you know, the side of, you know, we need to find a new representative. So that was Harvey's point. And from my understanding, Dan did not get along with any of the other counselors. Um, like everybody would come, like everybody everybody would play politics like compromise is needed and dan had no interest in compromising on anything so you know they just wanted to find somebody they could work with so dan goes into harvey milk's office and unloads on him after reloading his gun which you know some may say um some educated people might say that that's a premeditated murder yeah but uh if not our justice system he shot harvey what Six times, something in that yes, area. Yes, um, it was in, I think they portray this in the movie, like Harvey yeah. puts his hand up to like right. that walk his shot. face. Mm-hmm. And yeah, he's shot six times. Um, Finishes him off, shooting him yeah, in the head. Yeah, he stands over him right. and shoots him in the head. Right. Um, and he's like quickly caught by the law. And then you get the whole tweaking. Twinkie defense. Yeah, yeah. Real quick, I'm. I just. We've already talked about this a little bit. Um. Again, after this, you know, after the assassinations, we get the the big candlelight vigil, um, which is visually striking. It's also very affecting. Yeah, it's a beautiful show for um. It it, you get the sense that like that's what Harvey would have wanted. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, for sure. And, like, he kind of knew that, like, he could die at any moment because of, you know, whatever. You know, he wrote that will. So, uh, yeah, it, this peaceful protest over an awful thing that happened to their community, and you have thousands upon thousands of people. Yeah, it, it's it's quite an insane um It's not visual. just the gays, right. it's, it's everyone. All of San Francisco kind of combining, coming together. Yeah, it's, it really is beautiful. A beautiful scene. Um, there's this one little interview with with one of the guys saying, you know, that he he wanted to go to the vigil, but he he didn't know where it was. Uh-huh. So he goes down one of the streets and and he saw like a few people there, and he's like, "Wow, this is this is all that came out." For yeah, him. and they're like, "No, uh, you need to go go down a few blocks." Uh-huh. And when he went that way, the whole I mean. I can't explain to you other than just seeing the visual how, you know, the camera pans to just this massive, uh, just crowds of people like yeah. all, all along. It's very San touching. Francisco. It's pretty crazy. So yeah. Anyway, just, just a great scene. So let's, let's talk real quick, um, kind of about Dan White's, um, it, it goes kind of into what ends up happening with him. So he does go on trial. Um, the jury, they end up, like I believe, if if I remember right, there are no minorities minorities on the on the jury. Correct, because they might have um, a bias. Right. So, the, basically, 
<laughs> basically, it's a long story short, Dan White gets gets off um, very easily. Um, there's, like you said just a second ago, they use a thing called the Twinkie theory or the Twinkie defense. The Twinkie He's, defense. Um, Basically, he was under so much stress from his job and not making that much money for his family, and he ate a bunch of junk food, and that made him go insane momentarily, and he murdered these two people. Right. Yep. Claimed he was... He just started eating all these all these junk food because he was... Because Twinkies will make you put extra ammunition in your pocket. Yep. His, his brain... Had, that's not premeditated. His, the Twinkies uh, did it. His brain had too much junk food inside it. Yeah. So, um, a crazy theory. Somehow it worked for Dan White in his defense. And he basically gets sentenced to 4 to 12 years in prison um, for... Murdering two people in cold blood. He's out after five, right? He makes it out after five years. And then he kills himself. Um, after, yeah, he does kill himself uh, later in life after he gets out of prison. Um, like within a year yeah, of getting out of prison, he kills it's, himself. It's very soon. Um, I think he's alive when this movie comes out, though. Yeah, no, that's that's right. And then he dies like probably after it wins the Academy Award. <laughs> like <laughs> within that time frame. Yeah. Uh, Which, after- you know... According, like, to his uh, beliefs, his soul is damned to hell now. Yeah, no, that's that's true. Um, so, one uh, real quick, also, like, after the sentence, like, San Francisco kind of goes crazy. A lot of protests happen on, yeah. uh, on Market Street. Maybe that's where I got Market Street. I don't know. After the verdict, um, vandalism, demonstrators, uh, police... Cars are set on fire. It brought to my mind um, kind of the L.A. Uh, riots after Rodney King. Or like Ferguson, Ferguson recently. Exactly. I um, have a question. Yep. What do you think of displays of violence like this? I, I think it sucks. <laughs> okay. So here's my thoughts on it. It's always a, min- like a minority. It's always somebody who feels like they haven't been heard. And it's usually after the justice system has let that community down. I don't know. And I understand the frustration because it's like, like, what good is this violence? What good is this tantrum going to do? But also, what good did words do? What good did peace do? Like how I understand, like, it must be frustrating not being heard like how do you make yourself heard and like uncivil discourse might be the only way to get your point across even if it's just for a moment and it's fleeting well and and this is a little off subject but um your point is i and i think you know when i look at the like a movie like do the right thing Uh right obviously that's a big that's basically end of that movie is yeah you know you go about more of martin luther king's way of things uh-huh. or a little more of malcolm x's way of things or you right. meet somewhere in the middle and i think it, it's it's a good point like i i personally hate violence so you know i don't i understand i'm but i'm also not a minority so like i don't know what they're going through uh-huh. right so i mean for all i know something like that could happen to me like i for all I know, I might blow up, you know? Yeah. It's like, so I, I do get what you're saying. Like, it, it's it's just one of those things, like, 
you can try to be peaceful until there comes a breaking point. I think there comes a breaking point to everybody. Well, it yeah. Just, you know? Absolutely. So I, I do, I, I see what you're saying for sure. Um, our, our country's founded think, on breaking points. Exactly. We dumped a bunch of tea in the river. I, I think the thing, and we talked about this a little bit, Not I don't know if this holds a merit, but I, I think the thing that just like sucks for me a little bit is because with, with Harvey's story, like there's such beauty in, you know, not his death, but just the afterwards of, of everybody coming together. And I don't blame this on the people as much as, as you do our justice system in this case. In, yeah. And what happens with Dan White and, and just him basically getting off the way he did. But, you know, his story almost ends more in, in this violent type of way, which which is something he really did not want. And it just... I don't know. It, it just saddens me a little bit. It, but you also, like, you gotta think, like, the legacy of Harvey Milk, like, could you imagine if he were alive today how ecstatic he would be for all, like, the forward progress? The fact that we, right. like, have a month dedicated sure. to, you know, a minority right. that didn't mm-hmm. have a voice 20 years ago. Yeah. Yep. 30 years ago, you know? It's, sure. uh... And he and, and he had a lot to do with that. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, he was definitely like the face of that movement. Um, you know, especially, you know, like pre AIDS crisis and everything like. You know, Harvey, Harvey Milk was definitely the face of the community and it definitely brought like a grounded look at to what like that life is like the, nobody's different everybody's the same everybody has the same problems everybody goes through the same shit and you know love's love man doesn't matter who you love you know if you find it great because a lot of people don't yeah no well well said uh any other kind of end comments here i think that was a good good um, way to end for uh, comments i do want to say that i'm sorry if i said un-pc things Please know that my heart is in the right spot. Um, I'm just, you know, we're, we're uh, two uh, white boys from a small town in the uh, middle of the Bible Belt. That's true. Uh, yes. Uh, I This this was a good episode. I, you know, I, I loved rewatching this movie. Yeah. And I can't stress enough. I think this is a, a very important film and, and I think uh, everyone should watch it. Um, before we end here, I just want to give a shout out to a couple movies that if you get a, ch- I know we're getting towards the end of, of, uh, June here, but if you get a chance, um, I'm going to throw in, like I said earlier, uh, you should watch, um, a movie, uh, called Paris is burning. Um, this is, uh, streaming right now on Netflix. Uh, this is from 1990, uh, directed by Jenny Livingston. And uh, this is a chronicle of New York City's drag scene in the 1980s. Um, excellent movie. I, I would very highly recommend that. And one more I'm going to give a shout out to that um, I actually forgot to talk about earlier is a film from 1999 called But I'm a Cheerleader, directed by Jamie Babbitt. And this was a movie I just discovered actually like a couple months ago. And I don't know if it's streaming here at where right now or not, but it's a very very good movie and i would highly recommend that one so just a couple thoughts for me of, of some stuff you could stream during yeah end of pride month and here. also like films that we mentioned earlier like carol moonlight call me by your name 
Just yeah. just watch Call Me By Your Name. If you haven't seen that movie, it, it's one of my favorite movies from this decade. Like, it's a beautiful piece of work. And I bawled my eyes out during that film. And I freaking love it. Yeah, I second your opinion there. Great film, indeed. Uh, okay, uh, before we leave here, what do we got going for next episode, man? All right, so... We're going to change things up. We're going to go full on machismo. We're doing some fight movies. We've got Enter the Dragon, which is the genesis for all of fight things, followed by Mortal Kombat from Paul W.S. Anderson. I know he's one of your favorite filmmakers ever. I do love some W.S. Anderson. You put that man on a pedestal. Hell yeah. So, yeah. That sounds fun. Um, So, yeah, we'll look forward to that. Before we leave here... A uh, couple shout-outs. Uh, thank you to our excellent uh, editor and producer, Melanie. Uh, you can find her on Plastic Werewolf on yep. the Twitters. Uh, you can find us on Twitter at Cinema Parlor. Uh, you can find me personally at Chuck Madden Jr. on Letterboxd. Esclover84 on the Letterbox. And you can rate and review us, please, on iTunes or the Pod Center, as it will be now called, um, at uh, Cinema Parlor. You can also find us on SoundCloud. Yes. Any any notes about Nolan's pronunciation of um, Jewish names, please leave a review on iTunes. Yes, I'm sure I offended a whole community today, if not more. Offended me. I'm sorry. I apologize to you and your family. <laughs> All right. This has been fun. Uh guys have a good week uh we'll catch you in a few goodbye Oh, <laughs>